Welcome to Footy Time. How are you all doing? My name is Johnny Raff, and it's a pleasure to be with you all. Hope you all had a great Easter. Uh, we've got a few games to get through, don't we? Um, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. We have done a recap of the round so far on Saturday night. Um, we're probably just going to do, I guess, an extension of that, a second part, if you will. And next week we'll resume to business as usual. But we'll see how this goes today. So three games over the course of Sunday and Monday. Uh, we'll briefly touch on the Carlton and Port Adelaide one first. In very, very good game of footy. Um, honestly, having a look at the score updates and then looking at all the game footage later, it, it honestly looked like Port were going to be blown out of the water and possibly facing their first 100-point loss for a long time. It, it really did seem like that. It, uh, no crips, no problem. The Blues were just running hot. And their forward line, well, I've got to pose the question, is this one of the best forward lines in the competition at the moment? I mean, there's definitely better teams out there at the moment than Carlton, I guess you could say. You know, Melbourne, Brisbane, Geelong, I guess you'd name a couple of very good uh, forward structures there. But is this one the best bang for buck? I mean, it's obvious you've got Kuno and Mackay, very good marking targets inside 50. But Jack Silvani's turned into a very, very capable third tall. And Jack Martin just showed the world exactly what they knew in the first place, how much raw talent he has, and when he shows it, geez, it's just a it's great to watch. It's great to watch a, a, a player of that caliber of talent just putting it all together the way he did. Two very, very high pressure work rate forwards in Corey Durden and Matt Ewes. Those guys just making it all work. And that's the idea, is to lock the ball in the 50, keep those repeat stoppages coming, just like how Melbourne do it. I think Carlton are structured very similar to the way Melbourne are in that area. But it's, yeah, it's a huge win for the Carlton Footy Club. Without their captain, uh, they did run out of gas towards the end. They fell back. Yeah, maybe a concern, but at the end of the day, this team is 4-1 and one at the moment, and I don't want to put the moz on them for any of the Carlton fans out there, but at 4-1, and one, look, I'm not going to say there's no excuse, but you give yourself a very, very good platform to play finals this season. Obviously, five games, it's, it's, it's just over 20% of the season, but... You give yourself an excellent chance to play finals. And if you miss from here, usually there's a big, big question mark over a few things. But I think that this is a yeah, very impressive start from Carlton. A very impressive start. Um, one of the really interesting matchups I saw was when Hinkley, Ken Hinkley, sent Carl Amon to Sam Walsh. Um on the surface level, it makes perfect sense. you got Carl Lehman, who's a very good runner uh, both ways and quite capable as a run-with player, but it didn't work. <laughs> Simple as that. It didn't work. Sam Walsh had 38 possessions, Eamon had 15, 
And really, it was a day he'd probably like to forget because he also had a set shot from about 50 out with a minute to go to pinch the lead, and he did not nail it. So, yeah, I'm a fan of Eamon, but um, I think he's not really an inside midfielder. Uh, the thing about Sam Walsh is he's we all know that he's a pure athlete, but he's actually got a very, very good inside game. He's in close stuff, getting out of stoppages. He gets busy. You know, he gets in and under. And it's just something that Eamon doesn't quite do. I do like Carl Eamon, but he is more of an outside player. So um, I guess, you know, Ken Hinckley may have had the right thinking, but it just didn't work on that occasion. As we mentioned before, Carlton 4-1, looking to take on Fremantle next week at Optus Stadium, which should be a very interesting match. For Port Adelaide, there's, there's probably no way back now. Not for the flag, anyway. 0-5, 0-5, it's just it's too much to overcome. Uh, still a lot of footy to be played. You can still make the finals, I think, but they do have West Coast next week uh, at in Adelaide. But I just think it's a bridge too far now for the for the power. Um, yeah, look, I think uh, that the reliance on Charlie Dixon and just the lack of midfield leaders stepping up and really willing to wrestle back control when things aren't going their way. It's just it's not holding them in good stead. I mean, if they come out and run the table like the Swans did a few years ago, that would be very impressive. But, uh, you know, that Swans midfield was a lot different to this Port midfield. You had a lot of real just warriors and toilers like Josh Kennedy, Luke Parker, just real, real champions. And, you know, you've got some great champs in the Port midfield too in Travis Boak and Ollie Wines, but the question has always been who is there after that? Who's going to make that big play to get the game back on their terms? And I just don't see it with Port at the moment. It's, uh, yeah, sad, a lot of talent, but uh, yeah, just looking like downhill skiers at the moment. Let's quickly touch on the Essendon and Frio game at Marvel. Oh boy, this is, I didn't watch a whole lot of this, uh, I've caught up with highlights in that, but uh, I did turn it on during, I think, late in the first quarter, and oh, just Essendon bring the mouth guards this week. That was just a pathetic display of tackling. I thought it, it's really not good enough. It was bruise free stuff from the Bombers. I just, yeah, it was really hard to watch. Um, looking like the biggest disappointment of the season so far. Uh, you got. I was there were some things I was actually looking forward to with this match. I think uh, looking at uh, the ruck matchup with Darcy and Draper. I mean, these two guys are going to be very, very good ruckmen. I think for years to come. But uh, yeah, it definitely wasn't Sam Draper's day. <laughs> I don't think um, Darcy was just outbodying him, outmuscling him, and yeah, I think he, he got it. He got the biscuits this week. Uh, yeah, he was just much better, much more durable, I thought, over the course of the game. And, I don't know, Draper's just having a, a tough time at the moment, but, he, you know, he's going to learn from this. But um, just quickly back on the tackling pressure, I just noticed H.P. Uh, Myers from Mongrel Punt with an excellent spot up here. He actually said that there were 13 players on the Essendon side with one tackle or fewer. That is just... Not good enough. 
It's not gonna. It's not just not good enough. It's completely unacceptable. And yeah, it's all this game at the moment. It's all about pressure, tackling pressure. If you're gonna, if if you're even thinking about just running Bruce free footy and getting, you know, on that fast track at Marvel, and you know, it, it's not a track mate. What can I say? This Bombers midfield is one that really needs all hands on deck. Uh, you know, you've got Dylan Shield coming back and slotting into the guts. That's fair enough. But without Zach Merritt and Drake Stringer, there's just no class in that middle. I mean, you need that polish, and they ju- they just don't have it. They don't have it at the moment. Um, but when they're all hands on deck, it makes sense. It's a very nice balance. You've got you'd have Jake Stringer, Merritt for a bit of class. You've obviously got Parrish, contested bull. You've got Shield, who is a magnet at times. You can get Andrew McGrath coming in just to give him a different look. But this happens. I mean, if you lose players, you lose games. That's just sometimes the way it goes. And injuries are preventing the Bombers from being the best version of themselves. But it's no excuse for the effort. You can still go out there. I don't care if you go out there with 22 VFL players. You will put in effort. You will put in the effort. You will tackle hard. You will perform to the best of your ability, no matter what it is. But it would be remiss to not talk about the Dockers. And look, this was a good performance. We're seeing the future. We're, well, we're not seeing the future. We're seeing the present. But it was the future that was promised for so long with the Dockers. You know, Caleb Sarong, Andrew Brayshaw, and while we're on Andrew Brayshaw, a few weeks ago I said that I thought Lockie Neal was the complete midfielder in the competition, or as, as close as you can come right now to the complete midfielder. And there's a few, obviously, we can go through the list and we all probably know who they are. But is Andrew Brayshaw up there? I think Andrew Brayshaw is a player who doesn't really do one thing beautifully. He doesn't have the Dustin Martin stiff arm. He doesn't have, or don't argue, whatever. He doesn't have the Christian Petrarca knack for amazing goals out of nowhere. He doesn't have the Marcus Bontempelli elite overhead marking skills. or, But he does everything very well. Very well. You know, he's got, he's got very good vision. He's got nice little bit of speed off the mark. He can accelerate out of contests and out of the packs. He knows when to accelerate the game. He knows when to cool it down a bit. So he can dictate the pace as well. Yeah, he's almost like, maybe not the playmaker, but he's like a play starter. He's the one that, I guess, has the feel for things. And, you know, this is... This is everything you want when you're choosing a captain, really. And I think he's really just got a lot going for him. And he's tough as old boots. <laughs> so, yeah, really, really impressed with how Andrew Brajos coming along. Um, Will Brody. I think the Gold Coast Suns are going, well, if it wasn't enough to see Jared Lyons running around doing his thing almost one of the best pickups in AFL history. They got him for literally next to nothing. Well, Will Brody's 
tracking in the same direction. Uh, again, the Dockers did not get give up much to get him. And he's working really well with that midfield at the moment. David Mundy just doing what he does. One of the best kicks I think the game's seen for at least the last 10, 15 years. Both field and set shot. Love the way that guy kicks the footy. Yeah, they, they, what they're doing right now, it's not going to get talked about much because they're over in the West. But the Freo Dockers, this is the perfect example of a rebuild done right. I mean, you had Justin Longmuir come in, te- teaches them the conservative, well, not a conservative approach, but they go conservative. They build from the from the back, and it's about defend first. Let's learn one thing first, move on to the next thing. We're now starting to see the Dockers open up a bit and show their, I guess, their um, their personality. And we're seeing a lot of these well-crafted team goals that are making use of their tall timber. I mean, did we mention that uh, Tapman had kicked seven goals? Uh, Darcy got forward and kicked a few. I think that the Frio are really building some good tall stocks. It's great. Great to see because that's something they've needed for so long. And then maybe they don't have the complete answer yet for their focal point up forward, but they've got some options in the making. It's better than nothing. <laughs> I think a few teams would like to have some of those guys. Lastly, we'll go to the Easter Monday game, which was today, between the Cats and the Hawks. And wow, what a fantastic win for the Hawks. That is something to hang your hat on. They were very brave. They took the game on, and they came up with the jockeys. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is a new look side. They're, they're, they've now finally moved away from the team that made you know achieved the three peat, the golden years of Alistair Clarkson. I think we're definitely seeing something a little bit different under Sam Mitchell. And I've talked about the back line that they're building. I really like it. I think, uh, you know, Jayath is an excellent athlete. Speed off the mark. He's got great dash, but he's also got fantastic closing speed and uh, just good aerial ability. Sam Frost has been playing good footy. And James Sicily, how good is it to see Sis back intercepting, doing what he does best. He's got a fantastic eye for the ball and fly. I thought that was a very, very impressive performance from the Hawks. And Dylan Moore continues to impress, and geez, he kicks a lot of his goals in the first half of games, doesn't he? He seems, or in the first quarter, he seems to really get the team off to a good start. And you know, if a goal sneak kicks a goal early, it's it's a magnificent confidence thing. They are up and about, everyone gets around them, and it just sets the tone for a good game. I think as, as a goal sneaker who doesn't get a lot of possessions, if you're waiting until about the third or fourth quarter and you haven't barely had a touch and you haven't kicked a goal, well, you know, you can still make an impact and that's what you, you're paid for, I guess. You, you're paid for bobbing up when the moment calls and maybe kicking a late one or two in the last quarter and pinching a game. That's what you are there for at the end of the day. You haven't failed if you haven't kicked a goal to that point in the game. But if you're kicking them early, it just does your confidence wonders. So, yeah, that was another great performance from him. The Cats, again, they just looked a little bit slow late in the game. They looked a little bit off, and I, I don't know what it was. I just think it's games like this where 
Um, a few players drop, and it just doesn't seem to work. Like, Danger didn't have a, a great game, I thought. Um, there's times, sometimes when you feel that if Tom Stewart isn't back there, that things would actually be worse for the Cats in a game. Um, and he's kind of like holding them together a bit. I don't know. They are 3-2, and two, I believe, and... It's still early days, but I think they can definitely get it together. The Easter Monday clash never disappoints. It's definitely something that's been, I think, a really good implementation from the AFL. The Cats have won 11 of them, but so this that's another reason why today's result is probably good for footy in a way. Uh, but in a way, I think this one is, yeah, it's up there. in The one that the neutral fans like to see, I think, People will probably watch this one more than they would watch the Good Friday game, but I, I'm not. Don't quote me on that. I just that's my opinion. But yeah, went on to the Hawks and uh, yeah, especially after the performance they had last week, uh, they were criticised for their lack of pressure and intensity. They had a pretty physical training session during the week and they came out and responded. So well done to the Hawks. And let's move on to something that I don't really like talking about: umpiring decisions, but. I also don't like what I'm seeing at the moment with the high tackle and players ducking into high tackles. Yeah, it's happening a bit. It's getting disguised. Players are dropping at the knees, going head first into opponents and milking free kicks. It's not a good look for the game. It's not in the spirit of the game. But what do we do about it? That's the question. I've heard some people say that we should pay a free kick against players attempting to milk a free kick from ducking or dropping at the knees or going headfirst into other players' tackles. Um, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's a good idea at all, actually. I think that the last thing we need to do in a game that is full of interpretation as it is for umpires. I mean, look, let's be honest. This is the one of the hardest sports in the world to officiate. There are more than enough free kicks in the game to pay for certain things. It is over the top enough as it is, seeing the game stopped every two seconds and we're seeing 50s paid all the time. Why add another layer of interpretation to what's already a very hard job at the moment for umpires? Why? I, I don't get it. Why would you now bring in another layer of, okay, let's preempt now the behavior and the motive of a player supposedly trying to milk a free kick? Because I'll tell you what, I, I promise you this, if you started paying free kicks for players who are believed to be dropping in the knees or diving or ducking and Milking high tackle free kicks. If we start now giving the umpires the reins to pay that free kick, I guarantee you a game will come where they have tried to guess the motive of that player and it was wrong. The player slipped. The player accidentally fell into that position and a free kick was paid against them. We're already seeing a bunch of free kicks paid for things that are outside of players' control uh, I just don't think adding another one is a great idea. What I do think should happen, though, is I think these players, repeat offenders, should be reported and possibly suspended. How do you get this behavior to stop? You need to rub players out. You need to, it, you know, obviously, 
You can find them on the first strike, but if it's repeat offenders, you start rubbing them out for games. They'll take notice then. The behavior will stop very, very quickly. But adding another free kick for something like this, it's just, I don't know. We're asking the umpires a lot, and I just don't think it's a good idea. I think that you need to set the example, and it'll stop very quickly. There you go. Straight fire. We stay on that theme of umpiring, and it looks like I'm not the only one frustrated because we've had a couple of people send in uh, complaining about the umpiring and the state of umpiring in the game. Uh, this one is from Geordie, and he says, Do you think that there is way too much over-umpiring in the game at the moment? I honestly feel like there's never been more free kicks paid and 50-meter penalties. It's the same umpires who are the repeat offenders as well. Not going to name them. <laughs> um, I, I think after watching on the weekend, I definitely felt like there was a sense of over-involvement from the umpires. Uh, obviously, watching my team play the Giants on Saturday night, the Ds, uh, it was, that was not an easy game to watch in terms of how it was officiated. I didn't think it, it didn't flow as nicely as it could have. It wasn't a, I wouldn't say it was a terribly umpired game, but it was really, it just got a bit disjointed in, in some of the decisions that were being made. And I thought there were quite a lot of marking infringement free kicks. Uh, there's lots been said about Christian Petrarca's goal that was ruled out. I think that kind of decision, I mean, to the letter of the law, it was probably there. Langdon probably did go for the push. But this is one of those things that happens quite often uh, on the goal line. I've seen free kicks not given for this kind of action in grand finals, believe it or not. Maybe because they let these things go. But I think if you're going to pay these free kicks, then you need to start paying all of them. And if you start paying all of them, you're going to see about three or four of these a game, quite frankly. That's just my opinion. I might be totally wrong on that. And if it was the absolute correct decision, then fair enough. But uh, we also hear a lot of people say things like, oh, I, I don't think rules should come into play when there's something like a mark of the year. So if there's a mark of the year on the goal line and the ball was actually slightly over the line, oh, no, don't pay the behind or the whatever it was. Uh, no, pay the mark of the year because it's in the spirit of the game. I don't believe in stuff like that. But uh, it was a shame in this case because Christian Petrarca, it was an absolutely miraculous snap around the body. And I thought the push was slightly dicey. I've seen them go, maybe at worst 50-50. But yeah, it was just a bit disappointing, I guess, in the end. But <clears throat> going back to the question of, do I think the game's over-umpired? I, I don't know. I think this was a bad round. I don't think it's over-umpired. I think, in general, I think there's too many silly little rules. Silly little dicky rules that are just making the game harder to watch. There's whistles all the time, the game stops, a free kick's paid, you don't understand what it's for. The marking infringement rule I've already talked about, I don't think it's, I think it's strange. The only thing I can think of, of why it's there is for things like tunneling and saving knee injuries and things like that. Fair enough. But I just think there's too many of these rules and, uh, yeah, I just, I haven't even gotten to the descent. Uh, business yet with the 50 meter penalties i mean this has added another layer to things and it's just uh, you're hearing a lot of expert commentators commentators like jared waitley saying that the afl uh, the umpires have lost control you've got gary Lyon saying that this is embarrassing this is a crisis for the afl 
at the moment and they need to get a handle on it very soon. It's it's not a good look at the moment. It's not a good look for the AFL or the sport because we all understand why it's coming. I think we'd be a bit naive if we didn't understand why this has been implemented. We want to see respect for the umpires in the game, and so we should. The umpires, are what there's no game without the umpires. And we want people to become umpires. That's the other thing. There's a real shortage at the moment of really good qualified umpires going around a lot of footy leagues around Australia and at the grassroots level. We want to see... Uh, we want to see kids actually choose this as, I guess, a form of sport because it is a reputable sport. In a, in a, I guess if you're doing it as a youngster, you don't have to play the game. This should be something that kids can have as an option as a sport. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that doing this, we absolutely get it. Like, we, you can't talk back to umpires in a derogatory fashion. You know, you can't moan and whinge and, and just go to over the top. But uh, this, yeah, this whole thing about it, I don't know who said this, if this has come from the AFL or if this has come from certain umpires or if word's gotten out and now everyone's starting to believe it through the media, whatever. But there's this belief now that if your arms are out as a player, that's a 50-meter penalty. So if your arms are out protesting a decision or you're kind of, you know, shrugging your shoulders going, what's that for? It's just an instant 50-meter penalty. I mean, I just don't get it. Like, It's just stupid. It's stupid. I mean, players are not robots. That they need, there needs to be some kind of leeway. These are professional AFL footballers working their backsides off over summer, training, doing, putting in all the hard yards, playing every game each week like they're going to war. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're judging them on these one moments of frustration and we're telling them that that's bad behaviour. I just think it's too much. It's too much. I mean, we want to stamp out the bad behavior fair enough but i just can't get behind this idea that the players need to be perfect i just don't see the logic in that respect the umpires absolutely but stop treating these players like children that's what i think stop putting players through the ringer and stop putting fans through the ringer as well it's hard to watch at the moment when you see a 50 meter penalty paid for dissent because the game is supposed to showcase abilities, toughness, all of that stuff. When you start seeing repeated penalties for nothing, because we can't hear half the time what's being said on the ground, if you're starting to see nothing happen and then a whistle blows, 50-meter penalty, it, no one is going to get this. No one's going to understand this. It's just silly. I just think players have a right to quickly ask a question to an umpire, and when they ask that question, it's in the heat of the moment. So it's not going to be all perfect rogue scholar speak and, oh, excuse me, Mr. Umpire, what was your rationale behind that decision? It's just not going to work like that, okay? Players are going to be frustrated, but players move on quickly too as well. I don't think a lot of players carry on, to be perfectly honest. So I think we need to bring that back. I don't want to see a classroom out on the field. Even in some of the sports where the referee or the umpire is very highly respected. I'm looking at a sport like rugby union. 
you still have the ability as a player to discuss decisions and rules with the ref. I mean, it's usually got to come from the captain, but there is the ability to do that. I don't want to see this become a a nanny state where if you look sideways at an umpire, that then that's a fifty minute penalty, and it's not consistent at the moment as it is. I mean, we're not we're seeing a lot of. Uh, uh, well, they said they were going to penalise people for doing the arms out thing. Well, I'm seeing a lot of balls going out of bounds and players appealing for for deliberate and carrying on about it too and nothing happening. So if you want to stamp it out, you've got to stamp it out pretty much all of it. So, yeah, that's all I've got to say about that, I guess. Um, I do want to quickly touch on the stand rule as well because I think this falls into it as well. I don't hate the stand rule. I think it's brought a bit of benefit. But I think it's definitely flawed in that you've got situations where players will stand the mark, take one step backwards, (laughs) not encroaching the mark. They're giving up territory in a way. And it's a 50-meter penalty. I just don't like how we've now got a game where you, you can't, say one word to the umpire or it's 50 and if you can't move at all it's 50 it's like you know players have to handle this i don't know waterford crystal type object and and if they step one step backwards from the mark or if they slightly raise their arm to the umpire that crystal breaks into a million pieces and that's just kind of what it feels like at the moment but yeah I just think there's way too much on that. Uh, I heard James Sicily say tonight that he wasn't clear on the abuse penalties. Jonathan Brown saying the behaviour needs to be uh, re-sort of ingrained, I guess. We're used to a certain way. Let's uh, recondition it. I don't know if I totally agree with reconditioning it. I think you need to sometimes let players be themselves as well. And if we're just going to stamp out personality and... The ability for freedom of speech on the field, <laughs> asking a question about a decision, well, may as well just replace the 18 players with Jones. And look, one last thing on this. To the AFL and any of the major stat takers in the competition, if the AFL is going to have this interpretation or this attitude towards dissent and all that stuff. How about you start counting the 50-meter penalties in a game? Because I've just been looking for that statistic in games. I want to see now how many 50-meter penalties are paid because if we're going to get a whole lot more of them, the 50-meter penalty is a hefty penalty no matter what time in the game, where on the field, or what era of the game you played in. Uh, A 50 is a very hefty penalty, and it can have a major part in the game outcome. So if we're going to have this, fine, fair enough. But I want to start seeing on the AFL side, I want to start seeing in the match stats the 50-meter penalty count, okay? You know, you do free kick counts for and against teams and players. Don't hide from this one. I really hate making these shows full of umpiring and officiating and match review officer uh, issues, but I have to talk about this one. Darcy Gardner and his crash into Josh Dagos 
on the Thursday night game between the Lions and the Pies. I'm absolutely gobsmacked at this one. Oh, the $2,000 fine handed down. Uh, it was graded intentional, but with low impact, I believe. I have no idea how this wasn't a suspension. I mean, straight after seeing Paddy Ryder try to pull up and colliding into Will Day, getting his suspension, uh, and then seeing, not even a week later, Darcy Gardner really charging into Josh Dacos's back and, and looking to hurt and getting off. I really can't see how this happened. I just can't. I think that this is what we're trying to get out of the game. We don't want to see players doing stuff like this and potentially injuring players because he could have been hurt. And if he was, maybe it would have been different. But this ticker box system or whatever, uh, just another limited process. Uh, Michael Christian, I definitely wouldn't want your job. But yeah, I think that was at least a week suspension. I don't think he should be doing that. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think they got it wrong. I've got a question for you. Who do you think is the number one key forward in the game right now? Now, this could probably change every week. And there's been some good ones so far this season. But what if I made a case for Joe Danaher? Yeah, look, you can argue with me if you want. But the fact of the matter is that he is equal leader in the Coleman medal with 16 goals. He is also the equal leader in contested marks. But it doesn't end there. What do you think of with Joe Danaher? Yeah, maybe not the most safe set shot for goal. Well, so far this season, he's booted 16 goals and five behinds. So I think that would be maybe in around the 60-ish percent conversion rate. That's not too bad. He looked very sure of himself in his set shot routine against the Pies. And really, he could hold the key to Brisbane's flag. So if you've got a healthy fit and firing Joe Denneher, well, the sky's the limit for the Brisbane Lions. Interesting to see if he can keep it up. That's all we've got time for this week. Hopefully your team did well on this Easter weekend and hopefully you enjoyed the Easter break. We'll be back next week with more footy time. In the meantime, enjoy your week. Happy Easter.